Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. This episode is part of a series on the intersection of the end times, also known in Christianity as eschatology, and mental health. As part of early research toward my own doctoral dissertation in psychology, I conducted 20 interviews in August of 2019, collecting personal stories about how popular Christian notions of the end times, like the rapture, tribulation, and of course the Left Behind series— Affected people's faith, theology, life trajectories, and their mental health. This is part one of four, and this episode focuses on the basics, including what most evangelicals understood would happen in the end times, some of the ways that fear, anxiety, and depression were tied up with that for many people, the connection between the end times, hell, and salvation, a sense of a robbed childhood that some feel, mental health predispositions, family conflicts, and more. This episode contains clips from 15 of those 20 interviews, but don't worry, you don't need to keep 15 stories straight. Just let the whole thing wash over you. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. It'll happen just that quick, Penny. The Bible says, like a thief in the night. Jenny, I believe that God is love. 
And it really upsets me when people go around scaring everybody with all this Jesus coming in the clouds and tribulation stuff. That's what I hate about religion. God makes all these elaborate plans to send us all to hell. Patty, God made a perfect plan that none should perish. He sacrificed his own son to keep you from hell. Well, I'm glad it works for you, Jenny. I don't know. It just seems like... What's that? Oh, this is a tribulation map. What's it for? It tells you about all the things that can happen after the rapture. Can I keep this? Sure. That audio clip is from the film A Distant Thunder, released in 1978. It was a sequel to the 1972 film A Thief in the Night, which was shown to me in my evangelical junior high and high school at least twice. It featured the Larry Norman song, which you may have heard, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Ah, yes, there's that phrase, left behind. If you grew up evangelical in America, you can close your eyes and picture the cover of Left Behind, the first book in a long series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. It's that black background with the green font. Uh, The story in those books is essentially the story, the understanding of the end times that we are focusing on in these episodes. Now, just how central a role that understanding of end times played in your evangelical community in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s varies from church to church. It varies from household to household, from Christian high school to Christian high school, from youth group to youth group, from homeschool co-op to homeschool co-op. I don't think I left anything out. But for those of us who were not raised in that evangelical zeitgeist, what exactly are we talking about here? Uh, This is the most commonly understood series of events as follows. Some moment very soon, like a thief in the night, you might say, a trumpet will be heard blaring in the heavens. The trumpet's not in every single version, but a lot of them. And in an instant, millions or even billions of Christians in good standing with the Lord will immediately disappear and be whisked away to heaven. In some versions, they literally fly up into the sky, and we'll hear some people talk about that. In others, they simply vanish. This is called the rapture, and that's where we're starting our conversation today. One final audio note. Occasionally, I will be putting bleep sounds in like this in between conversations in places where it's not clear that I'm now talking to a different person than whoever was just talking in the previous clip. I think you'll get used to it pretty quickly. All right, let's dive in. At that time, my understanding of the rapture was that one day we'd all wake up and our clothes would be on the floor. And at that time, I don't think I didn't think logically about like the cars on the road and all that jazz. I just thought how cool it was. how like we'll be flying through the sky and like like in my head, I was like, well, I need a jacket. <laughs> it's like it's cold up there, ain't it? <laughs> and it's like, but if my clothes are gone, what am I going to do? Well, uh, the rapture would happen. 
before the seven-year tribulation started, and then there would be a seven-year tribulation. Some antichrist figure would emerge who would broker a peace with Israel that would allow them to rebuild their temple mount. But then he'd betray them, and uh, things would get worse for another three and a half years. And then Jesus would come back, the Battle of Armageddon would happen, and then there'd be a thousand-year reign of Christ uh, on earth. The surviving mortals who had been friendly towards Israel would be able to propagate, and then the devil would be released on the earth one last time before the new heavens and new earth were created. Um, were you given like any kind of clarity uh, on what would actually happen if you were left behind? I remember like that Bible teacher like trying to give us a plan of like what to do, <laughs> um, you know, and talking about like going to her house. There was some like book or some like resource or whatever that she would leave there that, you know, would kind of be like our map <laughs> or something, you know? Uh, and they do that at the yeah. beginning of uh, thief in the night, like of these films, right? Yeah, there, I there's always, that guy. Yeah, yeah. And there's more than one of these films. Like I was watching another one. I can't remember what it's called, but it also had like a radio call in, with like a liberal Christian <laughs> pastor who's like, I didn't believe it, but this is what my more conservative yeah. pastor friends told yeah. me. And told here's gosh, what you need. It. You know what I mean? I knew it. Should have listened. Yep. Yeah. And so there's yeah. kind of like, there are these people who will have the info because they are like on the wrong part of the team, but See, like they right. know enough that they'll they, figure it out. It, it, the rapture happened and it clicked and yeah. like, well, I was wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there's like in the Thief in the Night movies, there was some, you know, like mountain man who had built himself a bunker and yeah, had like all kinds of like maps and guides like taped up to his cave wall or <laughs> like whatever. Yeah. In your understanding, there was something really crucial about after the rapture, if you take the mark, right? Right. Can you just expand on that? It, it was always that, that thing where like kind of that was the stealing of the deal, you know? you're going to go through a whole bunch of stuff and you're going to see a bunch of stuff and everything's going to happen. It's going to be really terrible and rough for you. But if you do that one thing, then that's kind of the ceiling of the deal. And when you die, if you have that mark then there's no way that that's going to happen because you are property basically of the beast now. And you're not, no matter what you do, you can't get that off and you took that. So you're, you're, you're done. You're, you can't get into heaven. You, you may have, you may be able to, you know, do whatever, go to the grocery store here, but when you die, it's all over and you're going to be tortured forever. And then, um, after the rapture, like what, what happens to the people who are left behind, et cetera? Uh, just a whole, whole bunch of terrible things. Um, from what I understood, there's going to be some kind of, uh, from what I first, first understood, I, I read it really literally and there's going to be locusts that come and, and, uh, you know, there's going to be battles and fights and horsemen and, uh, you know, and then at the very end, Jesus is going to come back and on the on some horse and just you know kill everybody who's got the mark of the beast. And um, it, it, you know, nobody can. If, if you don't do that, then you're going to be beheaded by that crazy guillotine in that movie. Um, basically, you have no choice. You need to either um, get the mark or starve to death or go into hiding or um, yeah, you know, just it's just it's going to be you're going to be. Uh, refugees basically you, you can't do anything it's going to be you, you may get you know killed or turned in or but can or those what. people be saved if they resist the mark and all of that uh to, to me what how i understood it then they can be saved through death only yeah if if they resist all that stuff through martyrdom or starvation or something yeah. like that yeah yes i was always confused about that because i read revelation literally 
So the first thing was going to be like the first cracking of the seal and the scroll. And like it, we were all going to be seeing this. But I would hear like the interpretation from my pastor, you know, and how he's like seeing all these similarities between Revelation and then the stuff that's going on in the news. And I would think, oh, well, maybe it's already happening or it's all happening now. And I'm just completely blindsided and missing it. I remember this very much like everything you can't see, you're going to be able to see. And so I would always go like on mind trips thinking about that stuff, like people wanting to die and they can't, you know, like bashing their heads on rocks. So people in the tribulation will want to die, but will not be able to kill themselves. Right. And that you could like see demons and all the spiritual forces that normally you can't see. Right. And then it's like the veil has been lifted and you can see all the spiritual world. Could people who were not raptured, could they still be saved if they resisted the beast and all that yeah i was always told that it was very it was possible for them to be saved but it was very unlikely so i i heard i've heard a lot of people say that that makes so little sense to me it's like if the only way that i could ever become a fundamentalist christian is if the rapture happened then i would for sure be a fundamentalist in a second like it wouldn't be weird it would be like the most logical thing for me to do yeah, and you would think that would be what most people would do. Yeah, like if it turned oh, out, I missed the rapture, so it's real. You yeah, know, let's get you know. Let's if get Hinduism, back to it. if Hinduism predicted a rapture of a billion people and then a billion people disappeared, I would become a Hindu in a second. Exactly, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah so that part I doesn't agree. make any sense. But that was that was what I was always told was that yeah, there it'll be you'll be able to get there, but it'll be really really hard. So you better straighten up because you don't want to miss the rapture. <laughs> if that was in a movie, people would go, I don't believe that. That doesn't make yeah. that, That's not what that character would do. <laughs> exactly. So that's the basic story right there. As so, so many of us understood it, complete with local variations based on who was in a place of spiritual authority and which books they were reading or which VHS Bible prophecy series they were watching. But when exactly did these beliefs find their way into our lives? At what age? I asked everyone that question, and here are some of those answers. I was probably like 12. We had a Sunday school class. This guy at our church decided he wanted to teach specifically on end-time doctrine. And I remember when he started teaching it, he went through, I mean, just as much gruesome detail as he could. And he had newspaper clippings and these conspiracy theories. And well, what I know as conspiracy theories now, I thought it was, you know, the truth back then warning us about microchips under our hands and in our foreheads. And we went through the thief in the night uh, movies. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. So um, watch those and man, those. That's kind of what really did did a number on me. You're in seventh grade at this point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The earliest memory I have of it was in fifth grade um, at the Southern Baptist Church. Um, it was in children's church, and they were talking about revelations and the rapture. But my children's pastor, he was like reading out of the Bible or whatever, and just saying, you know, like, oh, when Jesus comes back, there'll be a trumpet sound, and the dead will rise first, and then um, us that believe in him will follow. But when he said that, they had a member of the church play a trumpet in the back of the uh, children's area, 
And so, like, there's kids screaming. There's other kids, like, you know, like, just scared shitless, pretty much, if I want to be honest. I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, it's happening now. What are the odds? <laughs> then, all of a sudden, like, one kid goes, oh, it's just Mr. So-and-so. He's just in the back playing the trumpet. And then he's like, and then my, my pastor's like, oh, it's, you know, that's just what it would be like. You never know when it's going to happen. Left Behind and the like were basically a staple around the house. That was part of the house decoration was Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins books up on the bookshelf. So My earliest memories are actually, I was thinking on this, but my earliest memories were the, I don't know if you remember the Crystal Lewis song, People Get Ready. Um, I do know the song, yes. Okay, yeah. So the line in there is, people get ready, Jesus is coming, soon we'll be going home. And then there's the next line, it's like, to take from the world his own. And then I, I was actually just listening to the song because um, I was just trying to replay in my mind. But there's another verse that says, then the, day, then the day that comes when we will be divided right and left for those who knew him. And then she like does this auto-tune thing to those who, are, who do not know, basically. So, so she auto-tunes basically the people that are apparently going to hell, which was very comforting. <laughs> <laughs> she just hates urban music. Um, apparently. <laughs> And then the next memory basically is Dr. Dino or Kent Hovine um, kind of going over. He was a creation scientist, um, built a creation museum and used to debate atheists and evolutionists. And I just I think for me, it brings up fear or me being afraid as a child because he talked about FEMA camps and he would show pictures of like concrete walls or concrete barriers, um, basically construction material. And he's like, look, these are the FEMA camps that they're going to lock all the Christians up in. And um, and then he also, I remember specifically, he showed the electrical boxes that control traffic lights. And he was describing those as being able to disable cars, like almost like an EMP um, bomb under a car. And it, it was going to disable all of our cars, so we had nowhere to run. And so my my earliest memories kind of are great, we're going to, my family's going to get locked up in FEMA camps. We're all going to die of starvation. And, and he equated it, you know, basically to the Holocaust. And that was kind of my thoughts about end times. We would now consider that stuff conspiracy theories by sort of a nut job, right? That's what, the words we would use. Yeah, absolutely. Who gave you these videos to watch? <laughs> so I was homeschooled and my parents did. It was their attempt to teach me science. Of course, he was a young earther and before the advent of the internet and kind of free information in the in the way we see it today. So it wasn't like, oh, I watched this video and then I, I was free to go on Google on a broadband connection because we had dial-up back then and, um, you know, kind of fact-checked this. It wasn't even in my mind to do that because that was what I, I was being fed. And that's frankly what they were being fed from church. And it was interesting because my parents didn't grow up in church and I, I was, you know, quote-unquote saved and started going to church when I was in third grade. So they were doing the best that they could, and that was kind of the, the route that they were being pushed into or, or being fed that information, and in turn, they fed that information to me. And here's a short version of my own origin story with end times anxiety. In sixth grade, 
One day, someone at my conservative Christian school handed me a short book, or it might have been a long pamphlet, I can't remember, called 96 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1996, or something similar. This book claimed further that September, specifically, of 1996 would be it. At this time, it was April or May of 1996. I was 12 years old. I had panic attacks every night for at least a month, and this topic of the Antichrist, the rapture, the end of the world, would go on to populate more of my panic attacks throughout the years than any other topic or trigger. I have not been able to find anything online about this 96 Reasons book, but it appears to have been an extrapolation from the original, which was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Philosopher and vice president of BioLogos, Jim Stump, offered to share his own story about that original short book. The fall of 1988, I am a sophomore in college, and uh, there's this guy named Edgar Wisnant, who was like a NASA engineer, they're always engineers for some reason, who uh, wrote up a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. And he had gone through very carefully through the Bible and through various Jewish holidays, I think it was Rosh Hashanah, and identified that this must be the time when Jesus was going to snatch all of the faithful off earth into the sky and uh, take us home forever, right? Now, so this is 1988. This is before the Left Behind series comes out, right? But the college where I was attending uh, actually later named its baseball stadium after Jerry Jenkins, who was one of the authors of the Left Behind uh, series. So that kind of vibe was definitely in the air. And so I'm also of the age then, you can do the math and figure it out, uh, that grew up in youth group watching all of the Thief in the Night movies. I think there were four of them that were these stories, too, that... uh, the rapture happened and there was some remnant left behind that knew that they should have said the prayer and they just never got around to it. So this was the environment of my of my youth, for sure. And I'm in a very conservative evangelical denomination that uh, kind of bought this stuff hook line, and, hook, line, and sinker. But these little paper books started being distributed all over the place. And evidently, they ended up selling like four and a half million copies of this little book. I don't know that he made a bunch of money. I think they were a dollar each. I bought one for a dollar somewhere. And so 88 Reasons, going through Scripture very carefully, you know, treating it like a code of some sort, that if you just have the secret knowledge, you can uh, figure out what this all means and start doing the math. And it comes down to the rapture is going to happen sometime between like September the 11th and September the 13th, right? So this is just after school gets going. It goes over a weekend and one that Sunday afternoon, our college was the kind where there weren't many people around on the weekend anyway, but I was in my dorm late Sunday afternoon and I all of a sudden realize I have not heard anybody in a while. No. What is what is going on? And I walk out into the hallway in my dorm room. And I'm like, hello. And I went up and down this hallway and there was not a person in my whole hallway. You know, there's like 20 rooms in this hall. Not one person was there. And I'm like, what? no, what what is going on? I run down to the next floor. I find this guy 
And unfortunately, I knew this guy well enough that it didn't reassure me very much that he was still there, right? <laughs> okay. And so I am all of a sudden like shifting full throttle into examine my life of the last few weeks and months. What have I done? Because know, too, that I'm part of this denomination where I seriously thought it was a possibility that I could be, say, driving along in a car, get into a car accident, and just before my consciousness leaks out, swear, and boom, I'm in hell for all eternity because I committed a sin right before I died. And that's an unforgiven sin, and I couldn't go into heaven with an unforgiven sin on me. This uh, losing salvation was definitely a uh, live option for us. So anyway, I'm in the midst of seriously, like, what is, there is no, I'm a mostly this good kid. And then the theology starts cranking up of that's not what determines whether you're going to get raptured or not. And so what have you done lately? And it seriously freaked, I mean, heart pounding in the chest and thinking, what in the world? How could this be? And so after seeing this guy down on the first floor, I was like, okay, I got to go out. And I went out of the dorm, started going across campus until I found people that I thought, okay, this must be, this must be okay, right? Because this book had, in in our little community, had the influence of, in public, we all kind of joked about it. You know, we knew it was coming here. These days were coming. But, you know, we kind of joked about it. But in private, we were all pouring through this thing, looking as carefully as possible to see if, you know, we, if it passed the sort of sniff test. And so it, I, I can't say that it caused this lifelong scar on me, but certainly during 1988, September 11th through the 13th, it caused serious and uh, difficult anxiety in my life. And you look back now and you laugh at it and you go, how in the world? But obviously these are powerful sort of worldview issues that that can really influence the way you think about things. So, so Jim and I were introduced to all this stuff via this one particular self-published book or a variation of it. But that isn't generally the case for most Americans growing up evangelical. The most common introduction was the Left Behind book series and then eventually the film series. Uh, The books have reportedly sold a combined 80 million copies. I asked one of my interviewees, who is a bit of a culture nerd, to walk me through his own story and some details about Left Behind. I feel like I was probably in like grade like six or seven when I started reading them. Um, and I, I don't know if that was my introduction to end times theology, but that was the thing that contextualized it and made it real. Like, sure. like prior to that, it was the book of revelations, which is like cool. Cause it's got like dragons and stuff in it, but it's, it's so metaphorical and, and, and left behind was the thing that was like, no, no, no. Like the dragons is like, the military and they're hunting Christians down, you know, like it was that kind of thing of like making literal all of the stuff that is not literal in the actual Bible. How many of the left behind books did you read? I read the entire 12 book series. I I didn't finish the kid series, but I, I read at least like the first 12 or so books of the kid series. 
Um, I didn't read them, but I, I had the first book of the military series and the first book of the politics series. They were both spinoffs. What are these? Yeah, so so there's the main series with its prequel and its sequel. There's the 40 kids book series, and then there is a series that is left behind from the perspective of, like, a political background and left behind from the perspective of, like, the military. And they were from okay. different authors working in collaboration with LaHaye and Jenkins. It's an empire. <laughs> it is. It is. After church people we'd be at red robin and everybody would be theorizing about like who this person's like you know baby is and it's like i want to read these left behind books i want to be a part of the theorize you know huh so it's like fan culture in the yeah, way that people talk about game of thrones at the water Christian cooler fan culture yeah like people it was it was like a big book phenomenon and people would like fear like it kind of predated online stuff but in in real life people would talk about left behind and like you know theorize and be like well like you know what do you think is going to happen when the seventh seal breaks? You know, like that. It was, it was yeah. Christian fan culture. Yeah. I don't know when you're young, you just kind of take everything at, at face value. Um, and, and it was kind of, it was so accepted in Christian circles that I think, you know, there was obviously people who were going like, Oh, this actually is not, um, this is one interpretation of the book of revelations, but you know, it was just so widely accepted as like, Oh, well this is, you know, this is how it's going to happen. Like, yeah. It says it says like seven years and all this kind of stuff. So, how strongly did you believe in that interpretation? I would say that while I was reading the books, I probably accepted it mostly as like truthful. Yeah, it just you just I just kind of like took it at face value, I guess. From what I remember, by the end of the eleventh book, the story is like essentially done. Like the final book is like the glorious reappearing of Christ. And like everybody, all of the Christians are like gathered at like Petra and like they're there for like the final war. And I think maybe the, either the, either the end of that book or the first part of the 12th, the end of the 11th book or the first part of the 12th book is like this final conflict, this war between like the antichrist forces and like the Christian remnant. And then a bunch of people like die and it's and stuff. But then like the last two-thirds or, like, three-quarters of that book, like, Jesus reappears with, like, his glorious host, and it's literally just, like, hundreds of pages of them, like, riding with Jesus and just, like, defeating all the enemies, and then, like, the last hundred pages are just, like, oh, I'm so happy to be in his presence, and, oh, look, all of the people who died over the course of the series are now my neighbors in New Jerusalem. Look at all this goal, and, like, it just... It's just like 300 pages without conflict, which is very bizarre. It's it's like it's just so it's so weird. It's it's so bizarre. It's just like what am I reading? But bad fiction aside, the psychological impact of this way of thinking weighed heavily on most everybody that I spoke with. I heard over and over how as young people, they were always on the lookout for Jesus's return looking for those, quote, signs of the times that were supposed to signal Christ's imminent return, or sometimes literally just looking up into the clouds. You know, the, the fear was, you know, someday they're going to put chips in our computer chips in our hands or in our foreheads or something like that. And, um, and, and that's going to be, you know, the mark of the beast. And <laughs> I remember the, some of that. Oh, I remember uh, that too. Yeah. 
Anytime yeah. that like there was a press release that Visa had figured out they could embed a chip in a mouse or something, it was like, here it comes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was just this confidence that you could read the Bible and see how end times prophecy was happening all around us that you could read current events through the text. And it was obvious. This was the apologetics I was presented with whenever I doubted my faith, not necessarily my church. It was more of my family scenario. Um, Interesting. So if you started doubting, they wouldn't say, look, Jesus really raised from the dead or look, the apostles were martyred. They must have not been doing a hoax or, um, you know, look at the universe or the, you know, the fine tuning arguments. None of that. It was like, look, look at the, Revelation and Daniel are obviously coming true. Right. From the newspaper. Yeah, all that other apologetic stuff, once I got it, that that was all fresh to me later on in my spiritual life. That's really interesting. So this was like the main way to convince people to be Christians. Yeah. I knew that something was going to happen in the Middle East that was going to cause probably the temple that was there to be destroyed or tore down or whatever, and then the new temple to go up. So I needed to find signs for that. You know, and I would honestly, I, there were times where I'd look up at the sky as a young as a young man and look for something coming, like the horse, him riding on, in on a horse, or something, a flash of light, or or something like that. I would I would genuinely look up and expect to see that. Um, and I even dreamt about it constantly. I dreamt dreamt about the rapture, and the rapture took form in you know my body leaving the earth, and my clothes are folded there, or me kind of like materializing Star Trek style as I kind of float up to the sky. And, you know, a picture in my mind was like the SWAT team coming down into our windows at night and collecting us and asking us if we believed in God, collecting all of our Bibles and loading us into a van. For the majority of my teenage years, it, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty terrifying. Every time you would hear something in the news or every time you would, um, see, uh, I remember, Especially during like the Obama presidency and how a lot of what he people were saying about his relationship with Israel and things like that, it it got to the point where everything was like a sign that it was coming. And I was convinced that it could be tomorrow and that Jesus was going to come back. And you said that um, maybe a year and a half prior to that, you had like a big uh, cicada population <laughs> yeah. cruise into your part of the south and, and your grandma said these are like the <laughs> locusts in revelation or can you talk about that cicadas they happen like um there's batches like there's 17 year cicadas there's 13 year cicadas i think in a couple of years which i'm worried um there's a couple of years where a 17 year batch and a 13 year batch are going to overlap in our area and uh <laughs> But my grandmother, when it was like, I think it was the 17 year batch was when this was. And, um, she was tell, she would tell me, you know, she would read me the scripture in Revelation where it says that locusts will come up out of the ground and they'll have like a face of a man and all this stuff. And she was equating the cicada outbreak to that. And she's like, it's a sign of the times. It's, it's going to happen. And she would tell me, she said there was, uh, they used to have a P on their wing for peace. And there's a W on their wing now for war. And like, they've got like their wings are like, I mean, it's like a fly's wing. So there's like this, you know, little webbing in there. And I think somebody was showing us like somebody caught one or something. It was just, it was really weird. But now I still to this day have this anxiety surrounding these insects. Like, um, it's, it's either next year or the year after where we're going to have that intersect. And so there's already more than normal 
out this year. And like, so you can hear them as soon as you walk outside. And like, I just, you know, just anxiety in my stomach every day. Like it's, it's still something I carry (laughs) from that, that time of just this being horrified by them. So it's like, you know, be looking every cloud, you know, like Jesus could be on that cloud or he could be on this cloud. He could come back right now. And so you're just like always sitting there waiting at tense, you know, is he coming back now? So now I think I'm 26 now. So back then I was like, that's all I would do is just sit and wait because I thought that this was coming right now. And I still just today I was sitting outside smoking a cigarette and I was like, this could be it. And I'll, I won't even get to do the interview. I'll yeah, I'll be in heaven. You know, That's it's incredible. still there. That's incredible. <laughs> I won't even get to do the interview about waiting for the rapture. The rapture is going to happen right now or could. Yeah. Right, right. Wow, That's, that's amazing. And a number of people mentioned that this kind of thing still goes on today with their families. Here's just one example of that. We all, you know, gather for the holidays and when we do, like, usually it's just something that I've gotten so used to that it just kind of seemed like, oh, yeah, my family just always talks about the rapture coming soon and, like, um, and the current uh, political climate and, like, you know, everything that ties in together. And my grandmother, uh, she's very excited about, you know, meeting Jesus and, like, you know, as we all are and also looks at everything under a microscope, like very, very closely. And so this kind of has been going on for years and years. As far as I can remember her, she always really analyzes what's going on in the middle East and like the Israeli news. And like, she tries to predict when the rapture is going to happen, which I know like there's no date. Like we don't know when that's going to happen. It's even said in the Bible that no one knows. That's one thing that I have like very strong memories of is, um, this fear, it was like a, it was a fear for me because she's always predicting a day. She'll look at like the Jewish holidays and try and do all the like connecting the dots and trying to figure out when it's going to happen. And, and for me as a kid, that was terrifying. And I started, I started to feel a little bit of resentment and maybe not toward God, but just more like, well, this sucks. Like, I'm not going to be able to experience life. Like, what's the point in like looking forward to getting older? Like, I want to experience the things my parents experience. Like I want to like daydream about dating and getting married and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. But I felt like I couldn't because nothing like it, I was just expecting it to be any moment now. Like, and that's how my family kind of is. It's like, we just all kind of like wait around and there's little comments that are made even now in my family that they just feel like that there's no point in trying to change anything when it comes to like politics and stuff. Like it doesn't matter because you know, which we're all going to be gone anyway. Do you have a, a fearful reaction that your family doesn't seem to have? Well, I think my fear really was like surrounded or really was because I was young. And um, when I watched like the Left Behind movie, that movie itself wasn't necessarily that terrifying, but it still was like a visual representation of what, you know, we hear and we're like, oh, wow, like that's kind of crazy. And then like a year later, 9-11 happened. So as a young kid, I was like, holy shit, like, this is it. Like, all of a sudden I see, you know, I see what this movie portrays. And then all of a sudden I see real life, like scary stuff happening in the world. I'm naturally pretty anxious. Like I've had anxiety my whole life. I'm a natural worrier. So anything like that, that kind of disturbs or ruffles my feathers and like disturbs my peace a little bit. I'm like, oh, like, 
that scares me because it's unknown. I don't like un- unexpected things. I don't like the unknown. I like, you know, more predictable sort of things. So that fear that I had was definitely it related to being so young and also being exposed to something that was so definitely kind of guided more toward, toward an older generation. And like the movies were definitely not geared toward nine year olds, like for sure. <laughs> but uh, my mind just keeps going back to the Bible verse where it's like, we, we don't know. Jesus himself doesn't even know. It's only God that yeah. really knows. And that Jesus is just going to be like, okay, now, but there's no time in heaven. So like what, where does that translate to where we are on earth? Like, yeah, I don't know. All of it's yeah. just too confusing and it doesn't, I just have spent, there's just been so much time in, in my growing up years that the people I love and care for deeply have spent so much time like talking about it and predicting it and then it doesn't happen. And then you're like, okay, well, when's the next date that you're predicting, predicting it'll happen. That Do you just, feel like they're wasting their, their time, wasting their lives in some way? Yeah. That's why I, it's almost kind of weird. Like when I go back to visit for holidays and stuff, because I'm like, it's just like last year. So at this point in the middle of the episode, most weeks I play you clips from the most recent patron only exclusive episode. This week I'm not, I'm going to talk about the Facebook group a little. I will just say the most recent one is really interesting. It's with, Hunter Threadgill. He is a Christian guy and a emotion researcher. So we get pretty deep into what he understands about what emotions are and what the implications he thinks are for theology and daily lived faith. But for now, let's talk about the Facebook group, which is for patrons only as well. It has become such a resource. And I thought today I would just list the four most recent threads on there. I'm just pulling it up. And there are people chatting about this, commenting, offering resources. Uh, It's just really become a cool community. So these are the most recent um, topics or or threads in the Facebook group. Discussion about a Desiring God article. That's a conservative, reformed Christian website that advocates that we require obedience from our children. So there's conversations in there about, you know, punishment, abuse, emotional abuse, whatever. Resources for talking through atonement theory options with a conservative parent, the split in the United Methodist Church over LGBT issues, and climate change, and just to what extent the Australian fires are or are not actually related to climate change. Again, these are just the four most recent posts. And then also, uh, I did a poll and asked which of three episodes that were kind of ready to go should come out first, should come out today, and the group voted for this one. So that's also a little fringe benefit in the Facebook group as I often ask for feedback. So if you want to become a patron, it starts at five bucks a month and there are scholarships. You can go to patreon.com slash Dan Coke or you have permissionpod.com and click become a patron. If you do need one of those scholarships, email me at you have at gmail.com and we can talk about getting you hooked up with that. So if you grew up evangelical, if you grew up in this same kind of cultural context, then I would bet quite a bit of money that at least once growing up, you came home to an empty house and wondered if your family had been raptured and you had been left behind. Sound familiar? For mentally healthy kids and teenagers, this might not cause much distress long term. It's a funny story. 
you know, 15 minutes later. But if you're already an anxious person, this can cause a lot of mental anguish. Let's hear some of those stories, which again, were ubiquitous across basically every interview I did. See if you can find yourself in any of these stories. You know, waking up and my parents went to town and they didn't want to wake me. Um, or they were Christmas shopping and they wanted to go without me. And I hear, I, I'm thinking, well, there we go. They got raptured and I got left behind. And it was a terrible morning. And that's a funny story to me. I tell that to somebody else and they're like, oh my goodness, that's awful. But that was live. That was just, you know, all the time. I can remember times of like my parents being out in the yard working and I'm in the house alone and just, it's just, it gets too quiet. And it's like, oh shit, did it just happen? I'll go search out for them and go look for them. Um, that happened a lot in middle school, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, for sure. Just that feeling of, it just got really quiet. Why was there no trumpet? Did I miss it? I would definitely say that you know every other Sunday I was leaving anxious and scared because I didn't know, you know, what if I die tomorrow or what if Jesus came back, you know, this week, you know. I was always, like, scared if I heard a horn go off or something like. Um, my dad plays trombone and trumpet for the church as well and um i remember one time he was practicing for an orchestra thing with the church and he was playing the trumpet and i was you know upstairs probably playing with legos or something in my room whatever and i remember i heard the trumpet and i was just like what just happened and i ran downstairs and my mom my mom and sister weren't home so i go into my dad's room and i didn't see him and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So like, I looked in every room in the house, and I was like, holy shit, it just happened. This was sixth or seventh grade then. Um, again, like 12, 13 maybe. And um, then I was like calling for him because I was confused and scared and like almost to the verge of tears. And then he's like, what do you need? And it turns out he was just in his closet with the door closed just so he wouldn't bother me. I just I just knew that like I would, I would just never be a good enough Christian that I would actually get taken the first time. Why were you so confident about being left behind? I, I don't know. I just like – I think I was just so afraid of it happening that I could not I, – I couldn't imagine a world in which I wasn't left behind. Like I just I just accepted that I'd already failed at Christianity and that like – I was just going to continue failing until the rapture happened. Like I like because I would I would read in the books of, of like people like because like, you know, a lot of the main characters in, that, in the series are people who were like Christian prior to the rapture and the rapture like revealed them as being false. They were quote and, unquote and, Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so as I was reading, I was just like, well, I'm like, I'm probably a false Christian, too. Like. Like, like I'm, I think I'm just going through the motions and I'm going to be revealed as like not a Christian when the rapture occurs. Why do you think you questioned whether you might be raptured or not? I don't know that I ever believed that I was a good Christian, even though my churches, that they didn't like call us contaminated or broken. They, they were purity culture. I really took in and really f let it fester this kind of self-hatred because, you know, I, I had discovered porn at like, age 10 and that was my main mode of sexual expression for, for a long time. You get to your mid teens and you don't do great at making friends. You're not really an athletic kind of guy. You've got crap from social circles. People don't really put much stock in you if you're not 
any of those first two. And then you got crap from yourself and maybe church. But for me, it was mostly from myself for the evil things that I did. And so because I thought that I was such a I, I was such a horrible Christian or it wasn't, you know, I kept failing. I kept messing up, blah, blah, blah. You know, maybe not that there was no chance, but there was a pretty dang good chance that I would not be taken. I would not be raptured. And so would you say that in your mind then there was a, a direct relationship between sort of rapture status and purity, like sexual purity? I don't know that I would say direct relationship, but like it was there was a direct relationship with be, being able to be raptured and having a relationship with Jesus. And when I failed on purity, my mind wouldn't let me uh, – feel like my relationship was strong or was good with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't a direct, but it was right after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One step down. Yeah. Yeah. One step. I mean, the sleepless nights were more for my, my concern for, for myself to be, to be honest, it was like, well, do I have everything worked out right? The, the, you know, they say that, and I think in one, in one of the movies, like people get left behind and they thought they were Christians. Right. And you know, the, the verse in the Bible, you, you said, Lord, Lord, but, you know, I, I say, get away from me. Am I one of those guys? How do I know? What did I do today that is might keep me from being taken away? What if it happens tonight and I did something? I don't remember that I had a nasty thought towards my sister or something like that. I'm a very introverted person, so I'm, I'm in my mind a lot. And so just starting to think about, uh, you know, family members and stuff like that, that's what caused all the tears. And, you know, my mom would come in and I'd be crying in my bedroom because I knew that this person is going to get left behind. I was just playing with my friend and he said he's going to go try a cigarette. And so that obviously is going to be, you know, there's no cigarettes in heaven. So he's going to be yeah. left behind for sure. And I'm never going to see him again. He's my best friend. And, you know, just, just, just stupid stuff like that, where it's, you know, like I say now, it's like you look back on it and that's just ridiculous, but it, it was serious and it was real and it was fearful and sad. And, yeah. and, and I, I don't, I don't say trauma because I, like I say, I know what trauma is, but it was it definitely caused anxiety and, uh, Two things specifically that were quite tra quite tragic at the time. Just 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 being in that moment, I remember uh, the first time I was uh, home sick from school, and, and my mom happened to be uh, downstairs baking something. And unbeknownst to me, uh, either I was sleeping or she didn't want to bother me, but ran next door real quick to get a cup of sugar or something from the neighbor. And so I, I woke up, went downstairs, and there was nobody there. I remember there was stuff on the counter, like cooking stuff, and the oven was preheating. And I ran all over trying to find my mom. And I knew instantly that I was left behind and that was, I mean, I, I knew it for a fact and that's what it was. And I remember just crying and screaming for my, my family. And, and then I remember another time, uh, we, uh, went out to California to visit family for Christmas and it was Christmas day and my cousin got a bike and, and, uh, we wanted to get as much riding in on his bike as possible. So we went to the park like, you know, 50 times that day, just went there swing a little bit, go back, get a cookie, go back. And I remember our, our last time, cause it was dinner time. I was in front, we got to the park and uh, got off my bike and my cousin wasn't anywhere to be found. And I know it looked around and there was no other kids. Nope. The park was empty. In fact, it was pretty silent. Uh, went back a little bit and saw my cousin's brand new bike on the sidewalk and he was nowhere to be found. And I, you know, called to him. And then I remember thinking, oh, and knowing that the rapture had happened because nobody else was there. So I remember thinking, well, it must've just happened. So Jesus is probably still around, at least in the atmosphere somewhere. So maybe, if I sing Jesus loves me, he'll hear me and say, Oh, I forgot one. So I, I started singing out loud. Jesus loves me in my little scared voice. And at that point, my cousin came from out from behind a bush, pulling up a zipper because he had to take a leak. But, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you know, Christmas, you know, Christmas right around dinner time. of course, no one's going to be at the park, but, uh, right. 
you know, just stupid little things like that. I mean, it, it's it's silly now, but I, I was genuinely terrified that I'm going to have to go and probably get my head chopped off. Something that became clear in going back through these interviews is that the rapture and Jesus' return were almost always connected in some way to individual salvation. Here is one pattern that I saw repeated a few times. First, hell is real, and it is eternal, and it is conscious, and you do not want to go there. Once you die, you will either go to heaven or hell. But if you're young, you probably aren't thinking about death. It's likely to be decades away, so the threat of hell doesn't weigh very heavily on you. But if Jesus is coming back any day now, well then, the heaven or hell switch is going to be pulled far sooner than if you wait for your natural death. In this way, the end times expectation works as a motivator for the more basic salvation system, however that system was taught in any particular church. And many of the people I interviewed spent a good amount of time worrying about precisely that. Those that have decided to have Christ in their heart and have claimed him as their savior and so like just like very specific and like believes in the 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 virgin birth and this and that and it's just like a big bullet list of like you got to meet these requirements buddy or you ain't going and you worried sometimes that you wouldn't meet those requirements oh (laughs) every day oh i mean every day is maybe an exaggeration but like often very often yeah was it a once saved, always saved, or a conditional salvation church, or and your understanding at that age? It was a once saved, always saved, but then there was that caveat that they would throw in there that if they had backslidden or if they you know renounced their faith, that they really truly weren't saved. So that so the once saved, always saved thing almost was negated by that. How central was sort of the end time stuff to the overall project? That's a great question. I think looking back, it probably wasn't, um, but it certainly had probably the biggest effect on me. I would say it had a bigger effect on me than, you know, Jesus loves you, um, you know, but looking looking back, um, you know, with all those people, or I, I think all of them would say that, um, you know, they more than anything, they would want to know God's love for me. And I think they genuinely cared about me. Um, but yeah, certainly the whole end times eschatology, like had a way bigger negative impact than they had anticipated. I think part of it is probably tied in to, um, using the fear to lead to salvation. You know, somehow if we can, you know, get these kids believing that, Hey, they're, may come a day and that day could be tomorrow for all we know where everybody could be gone. Your parents could be gone and some government official is going to come and chop off your head. If you don't accept this mark or whatever, like you're going to get a lot of impressionable kids saying, I want Jesus in my life. One thing you mentioned in your email is that you estimate that you've given your life to Christ over 200 times. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, Now was, was that directly related to the end time stuff or do you think you would have struggled with that regardless of the rapture? Maybe, maybe Uh, I, the end time stuff definitely played a role for sure. But um, I think 
even if I like didn't learn any of that stuff, the, the culture that I was brought up in, there was still that like, well, are you really sure, you know, if you died tonight, are you really sure, you know, like that was still there. And the function of if you died tonight is the same as the function of if Jesus comes back tonight. Yes, yes, for sure. Do you think that you would have thought it was more likely that you would die young or that Jesus would come back while you were young? (laughs) Uh, I probably thought it was more likely that Jesus would come back. Yeah. So in that sense, it is at least more than half probably of the motivation there. Uh, that, That sounds right. Yeah. That always made me question my salvation. You know, it always made me question whether or not am I really saved because there was this fear in me that I was going to be left behind because they would teach, they would teach us in these classes and stuff that even the most uh, noble of Christians and even the most uh, strong in their faith was going to fall away and that they could be left behind as well. Uh, We were always told there was actually one specific person in my life that my mom had used as an example. You know, it could even happen to this person. And for me as a kid, I was like, no way, you know, not this person. There's no way that they could fall away. It kind of just breeded this constant fear. Like I, I you just, I just was I, I was never sure, you know, like I, I was just never positive that I, am I really saved? Like, am I really going to be raptured? I mean, I've done all the stuff they've told me to do, but I also told a lie the other day. So, you know, who knows? It, you know, it just seemed like it was this constant, uh, cycle of just behavior modification. Do I understand this right? That the the defining thing about your young faith was there was a divine standard. It was hard to live up to, but that was your job was to live up to it. And if you got that wrong, then that could be demons, hell, all, all of it could be right. the consequence. And Christ's impending return served primarily as a kind of a multiplier and a uh, really just like a an, an increased incentive. Yes, yeah, it was a motivator. Yeah, it definitely motivator. was a you know make sure you're always doing it the way you need to be doing it. Otherwise, you know you could end up in trouble. I imagined demons with their claws sunk into everybody's heads and thinking that basically every bad decision anyone ever made was because of a demon and um, that bad stuff happened because demons and you know dark forces evil forces were were making it happen and like trying to get in my way and like i was i was in the midst of this spiritual warfare as much as anything and so what's the connection for you between the spiritual warfare stuff and the end time stuff well probably for me um there was sort of a battle raging inside as to which side i was going to end up on i had a I don't know, fight back against those spiritual forces um, in order to make sure that I stayed on the right side. And if I ended up on the wrong side and gave in to the, to the temptations or the, the sinful stuff that the demons were trying to make me do that, you know, if I ended up on the wrong side at the wrong time and the rapture happened, like I'd be screwed and I'd go to hell and burn forever or whatever. You might wonder if some of these folks feel like some part of their childhood was robbed by all this stuff. I'm not sure that I would say that about myself, mostly because I think that I was an anxious kid that would have found something to be terrified of. And I'll just say there's more on the relationship between pre-existing mental health issues 
and end times in future installments. But some people that I spoke with really did feel like some of their childhood was taken from them. And I don't blame them. Let's hear some of those stories. When I was younger, I used to think every day about the rapture and be like, okay, is it going to be today? Like, when is it going to happen? Am I going to experience my 13th birthday? Like, you know, like it was like a much more pressing thing. I was a you know nine-year-old girl thinking about, I'm never going to get married. Like, I'm never going to have a house and I'm never going to get proposed to. Like, it's the things that little girls think about, like that you daydream of or you're supposed to daydream of. And I felt like, you know, my friends would joke and like talk about, oh, I can't wait till I have a boyfriend. And I'm like, will I even have a boyfriend? Will I even get to that point in my life? Because, you know, I, I felt like I couldn't place value in things that I should have as a kid. Um, when I was reflecting on, you know, this interview beforehand, I was remembering like how birthdays like were so meaningless to me as a kid because, you know, my grandparents are not just my grandparents, but anybody could, you know, would give you a gift for your birthday. And I was like, well, thanks, but like, it's going to be left behind, <laughs> you know, like it was just like a weird way to look at things as a kid, even now on reflecting on all of this made me kind of wonder like, you know, did I subconsciously also like have this lack of interest in like friendships because I knew that some people maybe weren't believers or that they were going to get left behind. And so like, why would I waste my time becoming friends with somebody if I know that they're not a Christian? When you got a toy, like your first thought was, well, this is really great, but I'm I'm not going to be able to play for, with this for long. Yeah. It's interesting. A lot of people I've been interviewing, end time stuff added urgency to their life. Oh, really? It's almost sounding like for you and, and maybe what you see with your family is apathy for your life. Yeah. Does that sound right? No, it it totally does because like I wanted to care and I and then some aspects I almost felt like I cared too much and then I ended up thinking this hurts. Like I'm caring so much about something that is not going to matter and you know any time now. Like like I have, you know, I had like cats growing up. So I like I would love my cat and I would be like should I why did I even get this cat? Is the cat going to come with us? Like Yeah, so I I was roughly six, maybe seven years of age. And I remember just having a burden for the people that I love the most. And my grandmother had just come to visit. I remember having a burden for her and not wanting her to be left behind because I asked my my parents if she was a Christian, if she was going to be left behind and all this kind of stuff. And they said, well, if they don't accept Jesus, then probably. And I really wanted her to be there. So I remember I, I got this little stupid play school tape recorder and press play and just kind of held it up and started giving her, you know, the, the steps to, to accept Jesus and what it meant and all that kind of stuff. And then I, I remember just going through all the stuff that happens, you know, just in case you don't accept Jesus in time. And if you're left behind, you're going to look around and no one's going to be there and we're not going to be here. And you're going to wonder what happened. And then I remember uh, saying stuff like, you know, you're going to, you're going to see some crazy stuff like, you know, locusts flying around and all that kind of stuff. And then I remember talking to her about, um, taking the mark of the beast and t- telling her, you know, there's going to be this thing that you're going to get on your forehead or your right hand. and You're not going to be able to do anything without it, but you just can't do it. And I remember at the very end, uh, I had to turn off the tape because I started to cry. And I, m- I remember the very last words on that tape, I was in tears and my voice was breaking up and I just said, well, Oh, just, just, just please don't take it. You know, and that, that, that was the very end. I know that's kind of a sad note to end this episode on, 
Uh, but to be honest, this is a sad topic. Um, and in future episodes, we're going to hear how everyone's doing now, later in their adult lives. And believe me when I say, they are basically all doing much better. So don't let a cloud hang over you too long. Come back for the rest of this podcast miniseries if you can. Uh, next week, we're going to hear a couple stories separated out from the pack that felt like they should be told on their own. And they are good. Uh, and then we'll be back to talk about anxiety, depression, OCD, how those are related to all of this, as well as how people think about the end times today, consequences into adulthood, uh, in what ways the end times talk was an obstacle to continuing their faith in Jesus and more. Thanks for listening. Come back for those future episodes. And again, if you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash dancoke or youhavepermissionpod.com and click become a patron. See you next week.